Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode we'll be discussing the second half of... Second half, what am I talking about? There's still so much more of this to go. 1993 movies, it's going to be a long trip, kids. Uh, this is episode two of what's probably going to be five or six episodes. Jacob's on the other side. Uh, I'm trying to whittle this down, everybody. I mean, that one, one. I think we went eight episodes for 1991, or maybe uh, seven, but that's a little much. So, trying to trim it down a little bit, make it manageable, or we're gonna be stuck in the 90s for the rest of our lives. <laughs> well, some people, you know, who have grown up, kind of are. Yeah. They well, think the 90s was only 10 years ago. All, all I have to say is, at least we're finally out of the 80s. This obsession with the 80s. We gotta move on, kids. Seriously. <laughs> I know. They, uh, were the, they were a great time. Treasure it. But now, but still, let's keep going. We can't keep the rest of the tour yeah. waiting. So, we are into 1993. Of the five movies, which would you like to start off with? Oh, God. Let's start off with this one, uh, Cliffhanger. I had seen so many advertisements of it, like, when I was reading my comics as a kid. Never actually watched it. First time watching it? Oh, man, dude. It is. It's pretty nuts. The, uh, do you remember the posters, what they said on them? Oh, gosh, I can't remember, no. It was always Hang On, and it's a little circle of Stallone jumping the cliff with rope in his hand. Oh, man, yeah, no. It... <laughs> now I remember. Yeah. Man. First, know, this is... yeah, it's like the first big hit of 1993. This came out, I think, three weeks before Jurassic Park. And that kind of set, like, oh, you can release movies before Memorial Day. Like, they, they kind of tested the waters with uh, Backdraft a couple years earlier, but this is really like that. Boom! And it saved Stallone's career. Oh, yeah, no, because it's like, what, after... Uh, what? The shoot mom. Uh, the, um... Stop it, my mom will shoot. Thank you. I almost said, don't tell mom we shot the, <laughs> the babysitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a horrifying movie. <laughs> um, I don't know of the two 1993 movies that Stallone had. Which do you prefer, Demolition Man or Cliffhanger? I don't know. I mean, having just watched, having grown up more with Demolition Man, I have to, I do have to pick that one overall. Yeah, it's so unique. It's so original. It's got that Wesley Snipes performance. Look, I know some people think Cliffhanger is superior. But I think some elements don't work. I think the fact that they cock their guns every five fucking seconds, yes, and it's an exaggeration, but I feel like they're constantly cocking their guns. And I think I think Lithgow is the only villain that really stands out. Well, Leon. Leon's pretty good, but everybody else just seems kind of bland. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. That one, that one woman in the cave when they're trying to stop that bomb. Yeah. being chased by one of the villains. Stallone just like lifted that one guy up and just impaled him. I'm like, oh god. Yeah, that's Leon who would uh, get some stardom later with yes. uh, Cool Runnings. Yes, that's what I was gonna mention. No, he was really good. Yeah, it's oh it was so expensive because yes, there are some stage stuff and you know and some green screen, but for the most part, they're out there in that and they're wired up and it's just so expensive to get the you know keep the snow and. This is from director Rennie Harlan, who had just come off of dealing with a lot of snow in Die Hard 2. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's... I feel like this was the last gasp for Rennie Harlan as a major director, because for years after this, they could only say, from the director of uh, Die Hard 2 and Cliffhanger comes, you know, in Cutthroat Island bombed, Long Kiss Goodnight bombed, uh, Driven, oh, uh, Deep Blue Sea. that, That did okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, because that, yeah, shoot, other than Deep Blue Sea, yeah, no, nothing else really, uh, 
went for him. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, and then there was this, a, a bit, oh, God, Michael Rooker being in this, like, being, like, his counterpart. You know, not exactly by choice. Because, yeah, you yeah. know, considering the incident at the beginning of the movie, he can't stand him. He still blames him for what happened to his girlfriend. And that that opening sequence, I think, is this. It's so strong that I do feel like the rest of the movie just doesn't. It doesn't compare. It's that, that first fifteen minutes is so intense. Oh God, I know. And then just and then just like seeing her fall, it's like oh fuck. And it's like oh yeah, it doesn't cut away and stop. No, it still follows her for as yeah. long as it can. The uh, that, like, that was so famous. That do you remember when they spoofed it? Like you're like two and a half years later with Ace Ventura and When Nature Calls. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> I know, and I, and I still feel sorry for that raccoon to this day, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cliffhanger was massive. Sadly, Demolition Man was, and it had a lot of competition against it. Um, but Cliffhanger was such a big international hit, it really did save Stallone's career and carried him for years afterwards. And um, I've, I've read somewhere that uh, Daylight was originally supposed to be the sequel to Cliffhanger, but when Carol Cole went out of business, the script was sold to a different studio, and they just got Stallone back. Have you seen Daylight, the one where he's trapped in the tunnel? Yeah, uh, no, I definitely saw a lot of previews of it, because, you know, it's Stallone, like, they put him all over the place. Yeah. We should watch, we'll probably watch that one in 96, but, um, I have always felt that, uh, Vertical Limit is at least a spiritual sequel to this. Oh, is that the one with, uh, Chris O'Donnell? Yeah, yeah. Yes! Oh, God. Shoot, that was, that was intense. I remember seeing that in one of my classes, uh, I think. Yeah, that's a was badass movie. Junior year? What's that? Oh, yeah. I think because we were going, uh, I think it was junior year in English where we were going over, um, like, John Krakauer and, like, his experience going through, um... Mount Everest. Oh, right. Into thin air. Yeah, yeah. The the heights, the, the fear of everything up there. There's no oxygen. I mean, we just got done watching Alive, and you see the treacherous... What is it? The movie Everest is also like that, too, where they show you, like, it's not just the fact that it's cold. There's so many different... Like, not enough oxygen. You're getting liquid in your lungs. Uh, uh, you know, stiffness and, and just exposure to the elements, period. But, yeah, it's it's amazing how... I, this is more action oriented than those. I would say those are more like just trying to be more realistic. This is this is a big die hard on a mountain kind of fun. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and one casting that was surprising to me was Bruce McGill is like one of those treasury agents. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm kind of surprised this did nothing for Janine Turner's career because uh, she was on Northern Exposure. And a lot of people love that show, and Cliffhanger was a big hit. But I don't recall her doing any movies after this, which is kind of a bummer. She's so pretty. <laughs> um, our second film is uh, Three Musketeers. I think that it gets a very bad rap because I think it was kind of greenlit as, oh, this is our Young Guns version of the legendary story. I don't know. I just thought of anything. It was like a tribute to the uh, Richard Lester movie. It, it, yeah, it is very silly, like the, the 70s version, but you can kind of see, like, they're going, well, let's get young, hip actors. And I think it's the only version of the Three Musketeers where they're all fairly young, even, even like, the senior Musketeers, which, if you think about history, those guys are going to be young because nobody really was active in, in serving the king when they're in their 40s because you died by the time you hit your 40s or 50s. Yeah, right, because, yeah, in that time, yeah, in that time, life expectancy was very low. <laughs> So he only had so much time. Yeah, so Keeper yeah. Sutherland may have been like 23 or 25, but he was like, oh, he's a senior citizen compared to everybody else. Yeah, 
Pretty much, yeah. But, I mean, again, uh, I mean, you can see a lot of determination and, um, oh, God, what's the word? Perseverance from uh, Chris O'Donnell's character, D'Artagnan. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it mainly has to be through his eyes, especially to the younger audience. Because, you know, he's an up-and-coming kid dreaming of becoming a musketeer like his father was, who died in the line of duty. And then he comes in, everything's disbanded, and he ends up getting into a little bit of trouble. I think that's the only part I think is a little weak is how they all get together to fight. It's just like, oh, you're standing here. I'm looking at you. We're going to fight. I was like, that didn't take much effort at all. What the fuck? <laughs> I know. It's like, I know. It's like they had like they had little tolerance. There. It's like they were very proud people. I yeah. mean, D'Artagnan goes there. He sees Athos. I think that's Athos, uh, played by Kiefer Sutherland. And then he just says something insulting on, you know, wanting to become a musketeer. And then he challenges him to a duel. And, oh no, and Oliver Platt as Porthos, though. Oh, gosh. That's when you knew he was a star. I mean, he never really became a lead, but you knew that he was a guy that was going to go places. He is so much fun in this. Oh, God, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and a bit of a, a scammer, too, where he said he got this from, like, the Emperor, from, uh, what, the Emperor of Japan. I'm like, that's not even Japanese, you idiot. <laughs> and and he, had the, uh, he had the gadgets. Which um, yes. which was kind of new for the, the series. Yeah, and he used to be a pirate. Wow, I'm looking at this. I didn't know this. Okay, so I'm looking at the casting. Maybe I should have done some research beforehand. Okay, so Charlie Sheen was the only one that was really like, they set out to cast him, but he was originally set up to be uh, Porthos. Brendan Fraser was supposed to be D'Artagnan. Oh, wow. Oh, that would have been cool. Brendan Fraser. I would have yeah. been happy. They then went to Brad Pitt and Stephen Dorff, who turned it down. Uh, William Baldwin, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Al Pacino, Johnny Depp, Carrie Ellis, Robert Downey Jr., and Gary Oldman were all sought to be in this movie. Uh, well, I know the writer was also, and wow, all of them just said no. So eventually, you know, the cast that we got to see. Oh, what is this? There was another version of this at TriStar where Depp was cast with... Uh, William Baldwin, Robert Downey Jr., and Kiefer Sutherland. And then when that got shut down, um, Disney settled in, in court over the, the script or whatever and combined both of them together to make this movie. And they must have just said, hey, look at this cast. Let's try it these guys, too. Right. Shit, I mean, got all that effort just to get this movie. But hey, I mean, honestly, knowing that they can't, I mean, I'm... It, Knowing that you mentioned Gary Oldman, I had a feeling he was either going to be, uh, oh, God, what was the one-eyed man's name again? The one played by Michael Winkler. Oh, okay. See, I was thinking more of the Tim Curry, but you're right. It was, uh, I'll have a look. I'm going to cheat here. It's uh, Rochefort. <laughs> Rochefort. Yeah. Who was played by Christopher Lee in the old 70s version. Oh, wow. Oh, God. Fucking Christopher Lee, man. You can't expect anything yeah. less than great from him. But the, uh, Michael Wincott really did. Oh, yeah, this is his fucking show. He is so good in this. Everybody tell, was talking about this over the weekend, by the way, on my film Twitter, and they were talking about how um, Tim Curry is the best thing in this movie. And, yeah, he's great, but I really think Michael Wincott just steals this. Yeah. Rebecca De Mornay, though, oh, God, she oh. did not take shit from the Cardinal. I loved how she, you know, yeah, she may be a messenger, you know, siding with the Duke of England, trying to start this little war. But... Again, like when the Cardinal like was making advances, he's like, uh uh-uh, uh, I don't give a fuck who you are. <laughs> the uh um 
Oh, I had it in my head and it just fell. Oh, when I was watching the sword fighting, I kind of watched. Everybody has like that basic studio, you know, we trained you for six weeks. But the only person who looked like they really understood it, like it was fluid. Maybe he had some training before this, but Charlie Sheen is a master at fluidity with that blade. I've taken fencing classes and he really had it down. Oh, absolutely, yes. It was him and I feel for me it was... Oh God, Kiefer and Chris O'Donnell. Yeah, I did see that with Kiefer. Kiefer seems very blunt instruments. Well, maybe that's also me. That's the fighting style he chose, though. Yeah, although I'm pretty sure he definitely would have taken on Rochefort, despite getting stabbed in the arm. Yeah. <laughs> the um, they really bet big on this. This was Disney's big Christmas release. They they paid a ton of money to have that single, which became a big hit. Uh, with Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting called All for Love, yeah. Oh. Seriously, yeah, that had to be it. I mean, it, it, this was a success, right? It, yeah, it was bigger internationally than it was in America. It cost $30 million. I think it made like 47 or 50 in America, but it was international smash. We went to a double feature of this because Disney put, like, I, I feel like it was a discount if you went to go see Three Musketeers and Tombstone together, and that's what we saw. Yeah, that's a hell of a double feature. <laughs> but man, yeah, again, it's overall a real good, fun adventure film. And I liked how, uh, when it came to D'Artagnan, that they he did have like some more motivation and you know history with Rochefort. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure Dar- D'Artagnan Sr. was the one who took his eye. Correct, yeah, and then he killed him, yeah. Yeah, because when he mentioned D'Artagnan's name, he pointed to his eye patch. Mm-hmm. Because I'm pretty sure he was behind the assassination of the previous king. Right, right. And also, yeah, the character depth of even like some of the background characters, like the king and the queen. It's like, yeah, they admit, you know, this is like kind of an arranged marriage. They don't really know each other that well, but they actually want to give it some effort. But, I mean, considering like how the kingdom's being run, the king actually cares about priorities. I was uh, I was looking at the director here, Stephen Herrick, and if you don't know him by name, you'll know his films. He had a run that was so strong, which immediately followed by the worst collapse I've ever seen in a career. It's so sad. Um, so it starts at Critters, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, The Mighty Ducks, The Three Musketeers, Mr. Holland's Opus, and 101 Dalmatians. And after that, it completely collapsed with Holy Man, Rockstar, Life or Something Like It, and Man of the House. <laughs> now he just does direct-to-video movies. Rockstar was that the one with Mark Wahlberg? Yeah, it's not very good. Oh, hey, I remember watching it a lot when I was younger. Shit. Well, I mean, it, to be fair, t- you know, we all we all have varied tastes, so I'm sure there's movies I like that everybody thinks is pretty fucking terrible. <laughs> if I go back and watch it, I'll probably be like, "Whoa, Jesus!" Maybe I, do I don't know. This. I could be wrong. <laughs> I'll have to give it a watch. But damn, man, that's a shame. Like, I think he directed Bill and Ted, Mighty Ducks, a bit. Fuck. Yeah, he was a franchise launcher because he also did Critters. <laughs> the uh, There's been other Three Musketeer movies since, but I think really this is my favorite. Uh, the 70s ones are almost too silly. Um, there was The Musketeer in 2001, which is all Kung Fu wire stunts, which is okay. And then there was that one that Paul W.S. Anderson did, what, like 10 years ago, which is all like steampunk, and it just it didn't work for me. Um, yeah. I feel yeah, like no, again, well, it's Paul W.S. Anderson. It's, again, more style than it is substance. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the next film we're going to discuss is another Disney movie, a big hit for them. They were on a run in 93. Uh, cool Runnings. And uh, 
way better than I remembered it being. It's very, very good. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember, I think, I watched it once, I think, in, like, third or fourth grade. And, again, yeah, another story of determination. You know, a Jamaican bobsledding team. Something completely out of their element, because, you know, where they're from, it's completely tropical. And, of course, this is after some downfall. Like, they were trying to qualify for, you know, running and sprinting in the, in the Summer Olympics, but... Oh, God. Yeah, and it's all based on a true story. This really happened, and this was their only way of getting the Olympics, and they went against, the, I mean, literally to the point where they had never actually been in an actual bobsled. They didn't know what it was like. They had something similar, but when they do, it's a piece of shit, and, and I think the best performance in this, and, and the thing I think people overlook, is John Candy's. His story of redemption from, you know, hitting really rock bottom, and, and everybody's mad at him. Um... And basically cutting his legs off over and over and over during these competitions by changing the qualifications, you know, and stuff like that. And, and really just, like, going against the team and not giving them a shot uh, is, is a hell of a performance and a hell of a turn story-wise. Oh, absolutely. And then, like, the character development from the guys themselves. I mean, while D. Lewis, who played Junior, you know, again, he was the one who caused them from, you know, who caused the mishap that disqualified everybody from going to the Summer Olympics and the track you know in the track um, run yeah and, I can't remember which track uh, which track event it was there's way too many to keep up with but anyway yeah he wanted to make up for it you know he sold his car you know he turned down this job that his dad found for him in Florida and yeah they were risking it all just to represent themselves in again a, a sport out of their element yeah it's um, I think all the guys really get a lot of um a lot of interesting redemption and, and changes in characters. It's so, kind of funny that the one character who had the most change and the most to fight for, I don't think he's ever acted again. It, it, he played Junior, and uh, he's the one who, you know, that tripped everybody and had to go against his father, and I've never seen him again. Everybody else became at least a little bit stars afterwards, like Sanko with Dougie Doug. He was a, a, a star for a little bit. Uh, Leon, of course, we saw him in Cliffhanger and a couple other movies. And Malik Yogo, Yogo was on a TV show for years called New York Undercover. Yeah, no, it's like he did, he did like about a, like, episode, he would appear in a bunch of episodes here and there, as like maybe like a background character, or like a, but uh, yeah, no, nothing major after that, yeah. which is a shame, because I liked, I actually liked his performance, and I liked his development the most. Uh, the one famous thing from this movie is me and my best friend Ron would always be like, after we do something stupid, Senka, you're dead, man, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, gosh. footage they used of the hit I can't believe they didn't all break their fucking necks
again, I'm surprised it was actually the German team. I was like, um, it should have, anything, it could have been the U.S. team. Yeah. Or the Russians, even. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if, um, they competed after that. I never actually did any research to see if they continued. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But I know, like, you know, in the end of the credits, it said they, the next time they went back, they went, they were treated as equals. Oh, okay, you so know? they did go back. I must have missed that. Yeah, I saw this one. Because I see most of these movies in theaters. It's kind of strange. I went to the movies a lot, apparently, in 1993. <laughs> yeah, but so this is overall an enjoyable movie, and I still like... I, I like Dougie Doug's performance. Like, he's yeah. definitely, like, the more comedic relief. Have you ever seen <laughs> Eight-Legged Freaks? <clears throat> oh, oh, yeah, that one, Freaks? Yeah, Eight-Legged Freaks, the ones with the giant spiders. Yes, that's right. He's the DJ oh, in that right. one. I like that a lot. Oh, that's right. When he was saying, like, we're getting invaded by aliens. He's like, I yeah. told you that we were getting invaded <laughs> them. Yeah. Wasn't he also in Buckaroo Banzai? Or am I, or am I thinking of a, a different actor? No, he would have been way too young. He would have been, like, five or six for that. That was um the guy from Alias. I can't remember his name all of a sudden. Shit. Oh, okay. Yeah, damn. Okay, I was wrong. Didn't realize he was that young. Yeah. The uh, the next film is... Where am I at my list? Uh, Grumpy Old Man. Rush to Shang! God, it was me. Oh, no. So that opening line, like, how could you not laugh at that? They All they do, they insult each other left and right. They And the funny thing is they love each other. They, I mean, there's some bitterness over a relationship, but ultimately they're so used to each other and they watch out for each other. And it, It's really a very cute, endearing film. I don't think the studio expected this to be such a big hit. It kind of came out of nowhere and just survived all of Christmas and became a much beloved. And even got a sequel. Oh yes, of course. I honestly enjoy. I mean, when I remember of the sequel, I really do enjoy it. Yeah, actually, you know what? It was more than just that though, because remember, after this, it wasn't just Grumpy Old Men. It was Out to Sea, Odd Couple Two, and then they did that one where it wasn't Walter Matthau. It was James Garner called My Fellow Americans. So the the duos of bickering old men became a very popular <laughs> spinoff genre. Yes, it. Oh God, yes, it did. And, and Margaret, though. Uh, gosh. Okay, I'm now at the age where I look at Anne Margaret in this movie and go, "Oh, hello. Oh, I get it now." <laughs> I know. I'm like, wait a minute. She is around their age range. There's no way. I just thought she was a lot younger. No, she is a lot younger. I think she was 50 at the time that they made this movie. Oh wow. Okay. And then, of course, you got the supporting character. Oh, Burgess Meredith, though, as uh, Jack Livingston. <laughs> Good God. The the, uh, the bloopers at the end of the movie where he has different versions of what he's saying. Oh, my God. It's so filthy. I know. Seriously. Oh, man. <laughs> when they're looking out the window, all the things, the little lino rama Like, what joke works here? And Jack Lemon, how he held it together. Oh. Yeah. No, even in the opening scene when he's uh, with that IRS agent's coming. You know, to try and get to Jack Lemmon. I, I feel like Jack Lemmon turned away from the camera because he was so la- he was laughing his ass off from Walter Matthau's jokes. <laughs> huh? They had to finish this movie in the middle of summer because Walter Matthau got pneumonia towards the end of filming, and they had to take months off for him to get better. Wow. Oh wow! Damn. Well, I'm glad he survived through that. Oh yeah. Oh god, that one out scene. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again. As you mentioned, you know, like all the mutuals between them when they go into town, like Ossie Davis' character, Chuck, who owns the shop, where they go and get their uh, fishing stuff and yeah. essentials when they go ice fishing. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, I, man, it, I love that it's it's personal stakes. There's no really big plot. It's just them, you know, just who they are dealing with just this one minor change in their town. Ta- in their town. Ta- oh, I got hiccups, damn it. In their town. 
know, they also mention, like, you know, their kids, they come to visit them, you know, they have lives, they have families outside their little uh, rivalry. And, you know, Kevin Pollock's character, you know, running for mayor, and then, of course, Daryl Hannah, who's going through a divorce. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, oh, God, Buck, Buck Henry, that's who played the IRS. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it, well. The first time I saw it in theaters, I thought that Jack Lemon died, and they do a nice little switcheroo on you. Oh yeah, no. Oh. And of course, <laughs> they end it with a gag with the fish. Poo, poo. What is that? <laughs> Ghost <Gosh, I'm sorry. laughs> I know. Hey, he was get back and forth. He did earlier in the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah. no, that one outtake at the end though, where it's like the was driving off and Jack Lemon's walking into the screen. Who's that? Who's the last doctor's limo? <laughs> 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 the post-credit scene where uh, Walter Matthau's in the bathtub scrubbing himself, he's like, if I knew I was going to be nude, I would have asked for another million. <laughs> yeah, it's nice that they came back together because they had so many movies. They, I think they had done like seven movies together before this. And they're best friends through their like most of their lives. And they had a movie in 1980... I want to say it was 82... God, I can't remember what it was called, but um, it was a huge flop. Critics hated it, and they kind of went their separate directions for a while. And uh, uh, it's it was nice that they could end their career, you know, still having fun and, and hanging out together. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Pretty much, literally, up till the day they both passed. Basically, yeah. The uh, the oh, last man. film we're going to discuss here. Look, I suggest this movie based on memory, not realizing as an adult that. Uh, Look, Rudy is the story of an obsessed mental case. <laughs> it's a true story. Um, it almost plays like a horror movie. You just twisted it a little bit different direction. He's now oh, like an obsessed fan, and, and he's now dangerous. <laughs> Honestly, yes. I think, like, what? Did Funny or Die would, like, kind of recut some movies, like, as if they were horror movies? And someone did that with Frozen. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah it's kind of edit the trailer a bit, added some suspenseful music. Yeah, I mean they do bring it up the fact that he's obsessed and he can't seem to get past it, and just like everybody's like, why are you so obsessed with getting on the scene? Okay, so yes, it is a story of perseverance, and it's since I'm from Indiana, this is legendary. My roommate is related to Sean Astin through marriage, so po- yeah, his his first cousin is Sean Astin's wife, so. He would always show us pictures and talk about meeting him and stuff like that. And so we had the poster of Rudy in our in our uh, dorm room, and Rudy played all the fucking time till I couldn't take it anymore. Uh, yeah, so I hadn't seen it since college, and and so this is the first time back. And it is it's very inspiring, and and it's kind of nice that you know I know people who were extras in this film, so um, they were in the, oh, they were in the stands and stuff like that during the games. Oh, and that's cool. I do. I think Sean Astin gives a really great performance, but this is um, a Charles S. Dutton like I'm gonna show up. I do ten minutes of acting and I fucking own this movie. There was a while there where you could always rely on Charles S. Dutton coming in and like Alien, uh, Alien Three. He owns that movie. He's so good. Oh God, yes. Seriously, oh, the golden, even the gold, well, no, that was Eddie Murphy, but he was a he. He did have a great presence in that movie. Oh, uh, what was that? The, the distinguished gentleman. He's the the the, guy, the mayor guy or whatever who gets in the car accident. They're trying to destroy him because, um, 
uh, he wants to take uh, you know payoffs out of oh, politics. Oh God! I thought you, I say I thought you were talking about uh, different a different actor. My bad. Oh okay, no. Um, I didn't know this. So the director of Rudy also directed Hoosiers, and I could never like I was like, oh, they just offered this to him because you know he's you know, the first movie set in Indiana and the second movie set in Indiana. No, he's actually from uh, Indiana. He wasn't born too far from where I was born. And what are you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm listening. I'm thinking because I, I was thinking of Charles Dance, completely different. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I hear you. I heard you moving around. I didn't know if you were like clicking something. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, that was my bad. It's like, oh, God, no, wait, Charles Dance is that. Charles Dutton is a completely different actor. I can yeah. never remember his name. That's true. There's two never... Charles in Aliens 3 or whatever. But uh, David Anspaugh, the director, was born in Decatur, Indiana, which is not far from here, actually, and where I grew up, and he went to IU. So it kind of makes sense that he would have a predilection for Indiana stories. But um, it looks like he's he's done, uh, he's done directing, sadly. He did... Well, he only did like five movies. I guess Rudy and Hoosiers are the big ones. He's mostly a TV director. But um, you get to see the very beginning of... Uh, shit. Brain's gone. Director of Iron Man. John Favreau. Thank you. Favreau. Kind of being kind of a douchebag in this movie, honestly. And the beginnings of uh, Vince Vaughn. And that's how they met and end up making Swingers years later. Yeah, I know. I, was, I, I figured that's what it was. Like, this is how they first met. To think, like, oh yeah, there was a, quite a few people uh, who were just starting out in this movie. So, oh, it was, no, it was awesome to know. Yeah, it's, it's a good movie, but there's a part of me that sits there and thinks about how it could just be a horror movie so easily. <laughs> oh, I know. But man, yeah, to think, like, he was dyslexic. That's why his grades were so, like... Oh, like, so okay. A friend, yeah, of mine, a friend of mine was in the military, and he said that uh, he came to do one of those motivational speeches... And all he did was talk about himself, and at the end, he drooled. So that's not... Oh, gosh. <laughs> that's not motivating at all. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah, no, damn. But yeah, yeah to think that's probably why like, he couldn't focus so well in school. And, the thing, and nobody ever actually took the time to analyze it until John Favreau, D-Bob, was able yeah. to do that. Yeah. And also a great supporting cast. You know, Ned Beatty, um, heck, even Lily Taylor was in this movie. Yeah, you know what? Ned Beatty doesn't get a lot of credit because most of them just think of him as Otis in um, Superman. But there was a while there where he was a very good actor, like he a go-to character actor. And I, I have no idea. Is he still alive? Let's look. No, I think he passed away. Did he? Yeah, Ned Beatty did. I think he passed away last year. Oh, he no. did. Yeah, that's that sucks. But he was always a very good actor during the 80s, and I think he just got kind of burnt out on doing the same kind of roles. Wasn't he a bad guy in one of the Toy Stories? Like, he was the teddy bear? Yes. That was probably one of the last roles. Yeah, he was also in Deliverance. Oh, God. Well, yeah, Deliverance is where he became famous. Oh, God. But when people think about him, sadly, they think, oh, didn't he play Dean Martin in uh, Back to School? Which one? Back to School. Didn't he play Dean Martin? Oh, yeah, I think he was. Which is funny to me. But uh, rest in peace, Ned Baby. You gave us a lot of good work. And that is the last film of this batch. Uh, anything else that you want to say before we go, Jacob? I want to say, I think, I think three of these movies would definitely be about, you know, well, two of them were true stories about determination and grit and perseverance. Yeah. Wait, three? Yeah, Three Musketeers, I'd say, you know, especially from D'Artagnan's point of view. Okay, but Three Musketeers isn't a true story, is it? No, 
Robin Hood. I'm just saying only two of them were. Okay, I thought maybe I was a moron and I didn't realize that was a true story. Was Robin Hood a true story? Please tell me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, lots of, maybe, maybe there was a particular thing that inspired Robin Hood. Yeah. You know, that's probably what like the Russell Crowe Robin Hood movie was based on. Okay, because I I saw an article that said Robin Hood probably died filled with bur- uh, filled with germs given to him by uh, Friar Tuck, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, so it's weird. Um, that is it. Check us out on Facebook. And you know what? Wherever you want. We're magical. We're out there in the universe. Find Hit Rewind Podcast. Subscribe, share, and comment. Let us know uh, if there's many movies that we've missed. We still got a, a little bit left, you know, to throw some more uh, movies in. And uh, that's it. Jacob, send us out. All right, everybody. Namaste and good luck. And, you know, <laughs> it being near the end of summer, stay yeah. cool out there. Oh, I was gonna say I thought that was my cue. And be excellent to each other. <laughs> <laughs>